Welcome to another episode of The Walking Classroom. I'm Laura Fenn, and today I am at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences in beautiful downtown Raleigh. With me is Dr. Julie Horvath, and she's the Director of Genomics and Microbiology here at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences. First of all, thank you for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> I'm so glad that you're here. Can you please tell us a little bit about what you do at the museum? I do research in my lab, uh, come outside of my lab to talk to the public, uh, go downstairs and give presentations about once a week, you know, just interact with people at the public, interact with people in my lab, and have a lot of fun. Can you tell us what goes on in your lab that you then share with others? Well, a lot of research goes on in the lab, and today, uh, actually this whole week and the past couple weeks, we've had some teachers in the lab, and so we're teaching these teachers how to do science getting them engaged in real science projects, DNA analysis, we're working with microbes. Um, I don't know if you know microbes live in soil because dirt is alive. So it's a really fun time in the lab right now. Can you tell me a little bit more about dirt being alive? Is that related to the microbes? Yes. So microbes are these tiny microscopic organisms you can't see with your naked eye. They live all around us. They live inside us and on us as well, but they live in dirt. And so they're very useful for plants. They help the plants process nutrients. And we're studying um, actually dandelions and finding out how they interact with some of the microbes in the soil that we're looking at. So what is what are you discovering? What are you learning? We went out to Prairie Ridge, which is an off-site location where a lot of people can go walk and have fun and learn things. And there are a lot of dandelions out there. So we actually took a lot of the dandelions and then planted them in different soils from different parts of North Carolina. So the teachers that came here are from all across the state. So they brought soil with them, and we planted the dandelions in the different soils to find out how the dandelions um, interact with the different microbes and different types of soil and to see, do they pull out the same microbes and interact with the same microbes even if they're in different soils? Very interesting. And what, what would sort of be the end goal? What are you hoping to learn with the information about how different dandelions interact with the different soil microbes? So some of our ideas are that the dandelions are pulling out certain microbes that they like or that help them grow. Uh, and so even if you give them different soils, potentially they're pulling out the same microbe friends from the different soils. So we have a postdoc, Julia Stevens, who actually studied lionfish before. She was looking at lionfish in different parts of the oceans and finding that they actually interacted with some of the same microbes in the oceans. And so she was very interested to see, did dandelions also, similar to these lionfish, did dandelions pull out the same types of microbes in the soils they're working or living in? I also noticed that you study comparative evolutionary genomics. What is that? <laughs> so I'll just formally say I was trained as a geneticist. So a geneticist studies things that are heritable, things that you inherit from your parents. And the main thing that we inherit from our parents is DNA. DNA stands for deoxyribonucleic acid. But DNA is this molecule inside each of your cells that's basically the instruction manual for your cells. And you get one copy from each of your parents. And that helps um, give you your hair color, your eye color, your height, um, and so geneticists study DNA. So you study, so from a, a person's parents, you know, they get half the DNA from mom, half the DNA from their dad. Um, and then so you study what the result is and how those combine, I guess. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, so how they come together and how they make you you. So your DNA, like I said, is this huge molecule, but there are little parts of it called genes. And those genes do things in your cells. So there are certain genes that give you your brown or blonde or red hair color, 
um, or your color eyes. And so I'm studying, trying to understand how differences in those genes give you different appearance. Why do my genes give me brown hair, but one of my relatives or friends has red hair? Um, and so which genes are involved in that, and how do the gene sequences change to give you different appearance? The other part of your field of study is comparative evolutionary genomics. So we get the genes part, the genomics. Now, what does comparative evolutionary mean? So actually, before we get to the other words, um, I'd like to talk a little bit about genetics versus genomics. Would love that. So genetics is really studying parts of DNA or parts of your genome. So all of your DNA together makes up your genome. And so if you study one part or one disease, let's say, um, that's really studying genetics. And then when you look at genomics, that's really looking at everything simultaneously. And your genome is huge, so that's a really, really challenging topic now. But we use fancy computers and these really important computer algorithms to help us analyze a whole genome at once. Um, But it takes a lot of work. And so people who study genetics usually focus on one small part or one gene or a couple of genes, whereas somebody who's a genomicist or does genomics, they try and look at everything all at once. So the comparative part comes in because I'm comparing these genomes or I'm comparing the DNA between different species. And I focus on primates because I love lemurs um, and other primates. So comparing the DNA from humans and these other primates, we're learning a lot about not only the primates, but also about humans and how our genome has changed over time. Sure. So can you tell us a little bit about what you are um, studying now, what you are actually comparing? One of my projects is in looking at rhesus macaques, really cool animals. So they're old world monkeys. They live in India and China and parts of the old world. Rhesus macaques. So we study this population in Puerto Rico that was placed there in about the 1930s. And people put these um, animals on this island in Puerto Rico and started studying their behaviors because they interact quite a lot. They have social groups. They have alpha males, alpha females, and so they have a really and good social structure. an alpha male and an alpha female are the, the man or the woman in charge, yes, right? Yes, okay. exactly, yes. Um, so they've been studying the behaviors of these animals for quite a long time, but until recently nobody had looked at the genetics or looked at the DNA to see how does that actually influence the behaviors. And so we know that DNA um, influences how you behave. And so what we're doing now is we're actually collecting DNA samples from all these animals. And then we study parts of their DNA to figure out how does that influence the different behaviors. And some of the behaviors that these macaques have are very similar to human behaviors. And so we're trying to understand um, a lot more about humans by studying these animals, these rhesus macaques. So can you maybe tell us specifically some of the things that you look at or some of the behaviors that that you observe and and how you trace that back to genetics? So we just recently published an article looking at how the animals are involved in this social network. If any of you guys uh, are involved in Facebook or Twitter, you know, you have different friends here. And so you have your social network who are your friends. And so what we found is that we can look at how the animals interact on this island and we can figure out how who they're friends with. So who do they groom? Who do they interact with? Who do they share food with? Um, who do they fight with? And so we can build this social network and figure out how these animals are related. And then what we do is we look at their genes. And we look at some particular genes that have been identified in the past as potentially being involved in behaviors or influencing these behaviors. We can look at the DNA sequence and see, is the DNA sequence similar for animals that have similar behaviors? And so there are a couple of genes that we found. If we know these animals have similar behaviors, then they also have similar um, gene sequence. And so we're now comparing these animals to each other and comparing them back to humans to figure out which genes maybe are important for some of the behaviors we're looking at and looking at 
you know, how these animals are in this social network. Animals who are really central to the social network and have a lot of friends, let's say, um, have a different gene sequence for these genes than animals who are on the outside and who don't have as many friends. What you're doing then is taking this information that you've learned from studying these animals and applying it toward human behavior. Yes. And you're, and then do you see if there's like a similar genetic sequence of kind behavior or aggressive behavior and seeing if you can find that sort of in the instruction manual in the DNA of people cells? That's the goal, yes. So we've started off in the macaques and we found some genes that are important for these behaviors in macaques or these social network positions in the macaques. And now we're going to start applying that to understand is this also relevant in humans? Does it seem to be pretty clear? There are certain genes that influence certain behaviors more so than other genes. Yes. Yeah, and so mm-hmm. that, and so you found that pretty conclusively. So how long does does something like that take to sort of feel confident that you know you in fact have sort of made this connection so that you can then take that information and go on to the next piece of the puzzle? Maybe I'll give you a multi-part answer. Please. <laughs> so for our work. We study these animals, and we've studied them for a a couple of summers, building up these social networks and understanding how the animals interact, taking the DNA from these animals across a year or two and doing some of these analyses. So it could take a couple of years to do this one study. And this one study then will look in the literature, look at public databases where we publish a lot of information, and we'll look to see have other people made some of the similar findings that we have. And if so, then we'll talk about them when we write up our findings. There could be decades of research before that or many years of research before that and hopefully a lot of research ongoing because we'll build on our research findings and then other people will as well. Did you always want to be a genomist? Uh, No, I actually wanted to be a veterinarian. And for a while, I thought I wanted to be the next Jack Hanna. Describe to the kids sure, who sure. Jack Hanna is. So was. he works at the Columbus Zoo and would actually go on a lot of the late night shows and would bring animals with him and would explain to the public, this is this animal and it's really important for this reason and it's really interesting, but it's also endangered. And so we have to do something to conserve its habitat. And I thought that was just so cool because not only is he helping out this animal, but he's teaching the public and engaging them. And so that's one of the things that I wanted to do. And so I ended up taking this career in science, which isn't, you know, you'd think it's not very different. Here, I engage the public every day in science. So while I'm not talking directly about animals, I do talk about my science and some of the animals that I study and why they're so important for understanding humans as well. Rumor has it that you study primate armpits. There's something you can tell us about. (laughs) Sure, sure. That is one of my favorite new projects. So primates use scent to communicate a lot. And when I first came here to the museum, we were looking for ways to engage the public. And I thought, well, you know, primates are really cool. Everybody loves primates and going to the zoo to see primates. But they can't really give me samples of primates because primates are endangered and are not found just in the forest of North Carolina. And we wanted to get involved in some citizen science projects, which are projects where citizens can get involved in data collection or data analysis. What we did is we said, all right, well, we know that microbes live all over people. We can look at their DNA. And that's really cool. The DNA of microbes. The DNA of microbes. Which we can't even see. You can look at their cells. I can. Yes. So cool. And so now we can't look at the organisms themselves, but we can look at pieces of their DNA. And we can compare their DNA to all the other microbes and to all these other species. So all living things have DNA. So what we're doing is we 
are looking at the microbes that live on armpits. And um, <laughs> it's, it's quite a cool project. So this armpit microbe project, like I said, um, we started out because we wanted to engage citizens. So we wanted to be able to collect samples from citizens. So we started and collected samples from museum visitors. But because of my connection with primates and my love of primates and the knowledge that primates use scent to communicate a lot, I thought, well, why don't we start looking at armpits of primates, non-human primates? <laughs> So we have the zoo nearby in Ashboro, and they were very welcoming and said, we would love to help you collect some samples and learn more about this. Of our primate armpits. Of our primate armpits, yes. Mm -hmm. Like gorillas, chimpanzees, baboons. We have a, a good... All have armpits. Yep, they all have armpits. All people have armpits. Yes. Yeah, it's a perfect place to start. And so we started collecting primate armpits. And let me tell you, some of Sense them... from primate armpits. <laughs> well, the microbes, actually, oh, from right, primate armpits. Right. So we collect the scents, too, because it's actually the microbes that live on you that produce most of your body odor. Okay. So it's not so much you that produce the odor. You produce the sweat, and you produce um, sebaceous oils and other secretions. And then the microbes live on that, and that's what their food... That's their food. And so they eat that, and then the byproduct of them eating your sweat and your oil is this odor that they produce. Microbe poop is what body odor is? Yeah, Got pretty it. much. Microbe poop. Didn't know okay. that, did you? No, mm -hmm. I, I did not know that. And I'm guessing that there are several thousand kids who are very happy that um, body odor is not their problem. That's it's right. It's not poop. their fault. That's right. Got yeah, it. so you sweat more, you produce more microbes, and then they produce more byproduct that's stinky. All right. Got it. Thank you. All right. So what we're doing is we're studying the microbes to figure out which species live on different people and do your daily habits actually influence what lives on you. So we know that this is really important because the, or the microbes that live on your skin actually are your first line of defense against bad microbes. So I said there are thousands and thousands of microbes in the world, and there may be only 100 that cause a disease that are pathogenic. And so we've heard of a lot of these. So there are some staph bacteria that are very bad for you. They can cause infections. So we want to find out which microbes, which bacteria, fungus, viruses live on you, and how do your daily habits influence those. So one of the things we did, um, because I said primates use scent to communicate, we said, well, a lot of people actually wear antiperspirant and deodorant. So does that actually change the microbes that live on you? And that was one of our first studies. So we used museum visitors to collect some of these fun samples. We said in volunteers. the middle. Yeah, wonderful volunteers. Yeah. Because the middle of August, when it was 100 degrees out, we said, please stop wearing underarm product. Don't wear any armpit, no, no antiperspirant, no deodorant. And come visit us at the and, museum. And come visit us every day for you're, a week at the museum. You're a brave woman. Yes, yeah. It was a fun <laughs> summer. And so we said, come in, bring your samples, and we'll collect your armpit microbes. And so we did that, and we found that people who wear antiperspirants and deodorants have different microbes living on them to some extent than people who don't wear anything under their armpit. So your daily habits are actually influencing which microbes live on you. Uh, so what you eat can dictate which microbes live in your gut, and some of the microbes in your gut help you process different nutrients, so that's really important for your health and well-being. Um, and like I said, the microbes that live on your skin help fight off the bad microbes, so that's really important for your body and your overall health. How would you encourage students to get more involved if they were interested in this field of study? What sort of path would you recommend that they follow? Well, certainly stay in science. You like science. Um, one of the reasons I got involved in science is because I wanted to be a detective at some level. 
I'm not a formal detective, but I really liked asking questions and I was always curious about things I didn't understand. And one of the things I love about science and research is that I'm the only one that knows some of these things. So I'm the first one that learns some of what I'm learning. Ask new questions, always question what you're learning. Since this is the walking classroom, I have to ask, where is your favorite place to walk? I have a lot of favorite places to walk. <laughs> I do love to walk and I love to take my children walking, but I do like to walk. And one of the places that got me really engaged in science and the natural world was my cottage. And that's in northern Wisconsin. It was very quiet. There weren't a lot of people um, noises around. So there were a lot of animal noises. So I heard the birds and the squirrels and the chipmunks. You could sometimes see deer. And then you not only had all these sounds and sights, but you also had all the smells of the forest. And so those are things that I really love. But I live in a subdivision now, and so I can't always get to the forest. So I love walking around my subdivision to look at the birds there, teach my kids about the birds. And it's just fun to look outside and see what's around, meet your neighbors. So now I love to walk around my neighborhood. Wherever you can walk, you'll be walking. That's right. Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Take care.